God who blesses is really what that's talking about. It's not talking about his power. It's an interesting word. And if someone ever wants to do a doctoral thesis, they could take a the gods of the Hindus. <clears throat> and then they could take the descriptions of Yahweh Elohim. And you can almost see that they pulled off individual pieces of Yahweh Elohim, who is indeed the truth. And that they have decided to make separate gods because they have a god over there that has a whole lot of breasts all over it. And it's one of those little sitting things that look like a Buddha. And uh, <clears throat> so that's that's part of what they what they do. They have the uh, bull, of course, that they worship over there. Seems like we have a sacrificial bull. My whole argument is that it all came from the revelation from the Lord himself. And then it all got twisted and distorted by the various world religions and uh, I think uh, I think that would be a good doctoral thesis by the way Kelvin's working on his is that still not working ta-da <clears throat> alright uh, Kelvin's working on his second doctorate at uh, Grace School of Theology so it's not like he's a uneducated and untrained person and and G2 has studied for how many years? A lot. Millions of years. <laughs> so they have uh, filled in before and they're always good. So uh, hopefully you will uh, show up. My mother used to get so mad at people because she was a church secretary, the church I grew up in. And anytime the pastor announced he wasn't going to be there, nobody showed up. And that's a Pentecostal church. So don't be like a Pentecostal church. Be sure and show up because you're going get, to get some good teaching. And uh, it's the fellowship of the body that is what we're looking at. We want good teaching, but that teaching should lead to fellowship. It's important for us to meet together in order to, to do that. So in any event, we are studying the resurrection of the Messiah. And this is coming in five different parts. And we have, we're in the, the part now that has to do with the week of the cross. Uh, first part dealt with the, basically the prophecy of things, what's, what's going to happen, and, and uh, the various prophecies that uh, Messiah fulfilled. Then we pick up from his entry into Jerusalem, and we're going to go and look at the, the week of the cross and what's going on. We're at point D now, which is the upper room discourse. This was given the night before the cross. In fact, after they get done eating, they finish the Passover meal. They're going to go out to Gethsemane. And, uh, of course, there's arguments from theologians. Was the prayer of John 17, was that while en route to Gethsemane or was it in Gethsemane? And the fact of the matter is it happened. So we can talk about whether it was en route or whether it was in Gethsemane and yeah, we can have our fun with that and all our arguments and our proofs and everything else. The fact of the matter is, he made the prayer. And it was somewhere where John got to hear it. So it was inspired that it be written down. So that's, uh, that's the important part. What is the content of it? And uh, the Upper Room Discourse is the prelude to that. Before we begin, though, let's just take a moment for prayer and uh, come before the throne and uh, ask that the Spirit Holy Spirit be our real teacher. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for your amazing word. And Father, it is so amazing to look at all the details. It's also wonderful to look at the big picture and see where it all fits. So, Father, I pray that as we look at this portion of the big picture, I pray that we gain a greater understanding of what happened the week of the cross, what happened in the upper room, and, Father, what happened uh, through the cross and the resurrection of our Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the upper room discourse, This is you can turn to John 15 if you want to, because this is where this is taken from as we move through this particular point D of this uh, study. And he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. I am the vine, you're the branches. Now if we just stop and ponder that a second instead of blowing on by it, 
what we find out is he's saying, I'm your source. He's talking to these 11 disciples now. Judas has already gone to betray him. There's only 11 of them left there in the room. And he's obviously talking to a greater audience than just these 11. He is the vine. He is the source of life. He is the source of our Christian life. And that's where we're to draw our nourishment from. We're the branches. It's interesting that we're the we're not the fruit. What do branches do? Produce fruit. What happens when they don't produce fruit? They get cut off and thrown into the fire. Does that mean we lose our salvation? This is one of the discussions we frequently have. That, hey, this, these believers get cut off and thrown into the fire. It's an interesting thing about ashes. You put them back in. You put them back into the, uh, and use them as, as fertilizer to grow others. So sometimes the branches die the sin unto death. They get thrown into the fire, and you think about it, and maybe some of the stuff they didn't do right, other people in later generations find out about, they figure, they figure it out, and then it ends up with them producing fruit because they don't want to follow in their footsteps. Some, not everybody had a wonderful family life, um, I'm sure. You know, mom and dad, your mom and dad was not perfect. I can state that with absolute certainty. Neither were you as mom and dad absolutely perfect. There are no absolutely perfect parents or children. That's just the nature of the world. But what you can do, learn from the mistakes of your parents. Pick up on the good stuff. Don't follow the bad stuff. And then you try to build. That's what we are called to do. So if we're the branches, what is the role of us? We're supposed to hang on to the fruit, aren't we? Because the fruit is produced from the vine through the source, and it comes out through the branch. So that's it's all the Lord's. The fruit is all the Lord's. It's not ours. We're not carrying a big basket of fruit up there to him. Look what I did. Because we didn't do it. Just like the fruit we pick off of trees. The tree did it. So he's a source. And that's what he's reminding them of. Whenever he's talking to them. Again just an hour or two. Before they went to Gethsemane. Within 24 hours of the cross. And he says I call you friends. Now that's the next verses. You can look all the verses up and read them. I'm not going to read them all this morning. But he basically says I'm available. I call you friends. Now, you're my friends if you do what I command you to do. And he makes that clear. He did it already in John 14. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He said it three times. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are simple. You love one another as I have loved you, and you love God. That's what you're called to do. So he says, I call you friends. And he's basically saying, I'm available. I'm your friend. The question then becomes... Are we available to be his friend? That's where the that's where the test comes in. Do I want just enough of God to keep him off my back? Or do I want all of him? That's part of the test. And then he says, get ready. I I run into people that say that, that this is still all for the um, tribulational period only. And that it is for the... Uh, millennial kingdom only, what he's talking to him about the night before the cross. And my argument is that uh, he's preparing these guys that were going to be the foundation of the church. He's preparing them to take over. They are going to be the leaders. These 11 knuckleheads that are associated with him that night around the, the, the Passover meal, he says, you get ready because people are not going to like you. And he said, they didn't like me either. Be careful when everybody likes you. That means you're probably not carrying the banner of truth. So prepare for persecution. When we you see those guys on the, on the back wall back there, and they've lived with it. The bulk of them have lived with real persecution throughout, through the entirety of their life. And you know what's happening with persecution right now? It is increasing. Everywhere you go, it is increasing. We have the, the friends, the voice of the martyrs. And one of the things you can find out about the voice of the martyrs 
is that, and if you if you get their material, if you don't sign up for it, they're not going to pester you. They will give you a chance to give, but they won't pester you for money like a lot of places do. But you you, you can keep up because uh, I know that their main focus for a long time was India. Has the persecution decreased in India? No. Not one bit. It has increased in India. But it has more greatly increased in the area around Syria, Turkey, Iran. That's where the persecution is truly increasing. And so that's where their efforts are going. When this COVID thing came in, it kind of affected some of the offerings and things. But they have their primary thing is meet immediate needs of persecution. That's their primary objective. Number two is Bibles. Provide Bibles because they feel like that will equip people to be able to better endure the persecution. And they want to go where the, where the hot areas are. We have another young man. It's on the back wall. It only shows four kids there. I got a new, just got a new picture from him in because he's got eight kids now. <laughs> so can you, can you uh, uh, send me a new picture because this one is outdated uh, by a long shot. And he goes directly into those difficult areas. He's been doing that now for 30, 40 years. And he goes directly into it. And uh, uh, it's it's a whole neat story. I'm not going to say it online while we're talking. But maybe offline you could ask me about it. And I'll tell you, tell you what all he's doing. But he's one of the guys that we, that we uh, uh, support, pray for. And he's really one of the warriors. But he's ready for persecution. The people that you see on that wall usually have prepared. We prepare for tornadoes here. Right? We got a bug out bag. We know where we're going to go, where a safe room is, all this other stuff. They prepare for what if somebody comes into your house and says deny Christ or die. See, that's a little more dangerous than any tornado. That's the fact of the matter. And they basically have already decided what they're going to do as a family. And if they die, they die. That's the way they look at it. They are not going to deny the Messiah. Now, I don't know what would happen if that same test, was, that was the Americans were faced with that same test here. But it can come. Don't say it'll never be here. Look at all the stuff going on right now. We said, oh, that'll never happen. And yet it is. Prepare for persecution. The coming helper. Sometimes we forget that as part of the family of God, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. Now that's just really cool. <laughs> he tells these guys that he, he said, I'm going to send the Spirit and he's going to be another helper is our word encourager. It is parkletos. It's the same word we get encourage one another, comfort one another. Words translated two or three different ways, but it means literally to call alongside. And Jesus Christ is the encourager. And he said, I'm going to send another encourager like me, which is the Holy Spirit. He used to be upon you. That's the Old Testament. Now he's going to be in you. So you're never going to be alone. You're never going to be alone, no matter what you're facing or what you're called, called to do. The coming helper. So you're not alone. How about your your sorrow is going to be turned into joy? Now, <clears throat> that's telling us sorrow, sorrow doesn't last forever. Everybody in here faces various sorrows as we go through the day, week, and year. All of us in here have experienced sorrow over the last year. Some more than others. It just comes in various stages all of the world is facing these very same things everybody tastes sorrow from one time to another all of us face the storms of life and one of the things about storms god can calm the storm but that's not usually the way he chooses to do it what he wants to do is calm you in the middle of it and that can be done by any believer in jesus christ an unbeliever can only do it artificially through alcohol, drugs, and all these other things. But a believer can do it in reality 
We can say, whatever you bring our way, fine with it. I'm fine with it. But <clears throat> from sorrow to joy, one of the things about this sorrow, one of these days will be changed the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And all this sorrow is going to be gone. And we're going to have a joy that, you know, you'll never wipe the grin <laughs> off our face. Yeah, that's the joy that we're going to have one of these days. From sorrow to joy. He says, I'm going to return to the Father. And of course the disciples are going, huh? That started back in chapter 14. I'm going to prepare a place for you and where I am. And I'm going to come get you, bring you myself where I am there. You may be also in my Father's house. Are many mansions, many dwelling places. I want you to be with, with me. And he says, I'm getting ready to go. And they say, where are you going? Who are you? Show us the Father, said Philip. And he said, you've seen me. And you don't know you've seen the Father. He is the Father in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. He is the exact representation of his being. The writer of Hebrews will write. That's who he is. And he said, I'm going to the Father. And you notice some plans aren't pleasant. Because they didn't want to see their friend leave. They wanted him to set up his kingdom. They wanted to be ruling over various parts of his kingdom. That's what they wanted. But he told them, I'm getting ready to leave. Some plans aren't pleasant. And some of the things that God has in store for us are not pleasant. I always think back to Lazarus every time I have a point like this. Mary and Martha out there in John chapter 11. And they heard... They got word to Jesus that Lazarus was dead. And the disciples said, well, we're going to pick up and go over there. He said, nah, just wait here. They waited three days. <laughs> Strangely enough. They waited three days, and he goes over there, and it says Jesus wept. He didn't really weep over the loss of Lazarus. He waited for him to die so he could go raise him again. He already had that in his plan. He wept over the fact that the Jews were weeping as people who had no hope. Including Mary and Martha. And he said, do you believe I'm the resurrection and the life? And she said, well, we know, Lord, at the end of the age, there's going to be a resurrection. And all. She had all the doctrine right. She didn't have the relationship right. Who do, who do you think I am? Is what he was asking her. And he said, I'm going to show you something right now. Roll the stone away. And what was their response? Lord, by this time, he stinketh. The old English fits there beautifully. Yeah, he did stinketh is what he did. And so, sometimes the Lord asks us to do things that are unpleasant in order to lead to something that is absolutely marvelous. And that's what he did with Mary and Martha. Rolled the stone away. Then he said, Lazarus, come forth. Come forth. I don't know if it's the same word he's going to use when he calls us out of here. Maybe. Because all he's got to do, there's going to be a shout that's going to be heard world worldwide. Huh. There's going to be an amazing shout there. And so, um, yeah, some things aren't pleasant that he asks us to do, but they're important to get to the right the right spot in our life. Some plans aren't pleasant. Then he says, I've overcome the world. See, the victory's in Jesus, the Messiah. It's a I am type of statement. There's a, a team getting ready to leave, and they've got several places to go, and one of the things they're going to teach is the I am sayings from Jesus out of the Gospel of John. And it's phenomenal. There's about a dozen of them, and they paint a wonderful picture of Jesus the Messiah. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the resurrection and the life. That's who, that's who he is. And he makes the direct statement, this is, I am the I am. I'm the one that Moses saw. Before Abraham came into existence, he said, I am. Now, I've overcome the world. The victories in Jesus, it's not in politics. 
It's not in getting the right people elected. This world is going to continue to go from bad to worse. And the solution is not found in, uh, in politics. Solution is found in the Lord himself. And right now, people don't even want God to be talked about. It's becoming more and more so. Some of the things that have been said about the firing of Tucker Carlson and some of the comments that he made the just a couple of days before had to do with the fact that that this nation needs to get on its knees and call out to God. Well, that'll get you in trouble. Was that why he was fired? I don't know. I don't have the answer, but whenever you start making a bold public statement about God and what this nation really needs is God, then you find yourself on the wrong side of just about anybody anymore. The victory is in Jesus the Messiah. It's going to become more and more difficult to proclaim the name of the Lord without being attacked for it anymore. Count on it. Just count on it. Someone will betray me. You'll be, excuse me. You'll deny me. Now this is this is a fun passage where he says, "One of you seated at this table is going to deny me." Um, it wasn't just Peter that will deny him. One betrayed him. And we knew who it was because he took the bread and he handed it to uh, John, told him who it was going to be so John would know that, that he knew, and he went off to do his business to betray him. But then he said to all of them, you'll deny me. Now, true, he's talking only to the eleven when he made this statement, but it wasn't just Peter that was going to deny him. And what did they do? They scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Exactly what they did. It wasn't just Peter with the three infamous denials of the Lord. It was, it was all of them. Even John to a, to a degree. And John is the one that showed up at the cross. The only one that showed up at the cross. But John had his question marks. And who, who, you know, who Jesus was. He was... Um, uh, John was kind of his, his own guy. But did John make mistakes in the process? Yeah. They all denied him. It was just Judas was, was obvious as the betrayer and Peter was obvious as the denier. And then he said, take a sword. Interesting passage. And it basically is telling us that Jesus bore our transgressions when it says that they're going to come get me. They're going to deliver me up. And he said, if you have two tunics, sell one, buy Machira. You're going to face some difficult times. Well, they said, we've got two of them here. Two swords. Will that be enough? That's enough. That's what he said. Because he would be numbered with the transgressors. Under Roman Jewish law, the disciples became transgressors, especially Peter, when they took that sword... And he took a swing at the high priest's slave, Malchus, and cut off his ear. And then he told him, put the sword up. Put the sword up. I want a replay of that one too. When he picks that ear up and just sticks it back on there. You know that had to affect some of those Romans. Those hardcore Romans. How many battles have they been in and seen heads and ears and arms and feet and hands cut off and nobody ever reached down picked it up and stuck it back on where it stayed and yet this this man named Jesus did and then John 17 was a passionate prayer and this teaches us to know what his desires are this amazing prayer that he prays to the father uh, on the way to Gethsemane or in Gethsemane. He's praying for these other guys. He's praying for those that have been allotted to his charge. He's praying for those that they lead to Messiah. That's what he's doing. And what he's saying is, know the Lord's desires. 
Paul picks that up. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, We make it our ambition. We make it our, to do that which is pleasing in his sight. Now, if we want to do what's pleasing in the eyes of the Lord, we have to know what pleases the Lord. What do you think about giving other people a gospel? What do you think about supporting those that go give other people the gospel? What what would what would be what about helping the poor? Several passages about that. That's pleasing to the Lord. But we help the poor not for our glory, which is what a human a lot of human good organizations do. They want to help the poor so they can generate more funds. We need to help the poor to the glory of God. That's how we do it with divine good and not human good. Because all that human good is a waste of time. When we're doing things for our glory, our recognition, we'll open somebody will thank us for it instead of doing it, not wanting, not requiring any, any thanks, any thanks, but instead do it just because it is the Christian thing to do. It is the right thing to do for the glory of God. Know the Lord's desires. Know His directive will. Know what God wants me to do. So many times people say, what does God want me to do? And, and sometimes the directive will is so clear. And they say, no, I'm praying for wisdom on this. And sometimes they're praying for wisdom because they don't want to do what the directive will says to do. Okay. Now, His trials are the next function that we have. His trials. He's going to go through a multitude of trials. And in this multitude of trials, we learn some more things. Test you find in, in life. John 18, verse 1. Lord is praying, Father, if it be possible. Let this cup pass from me. Because he knew what happened to people on a cross. He knew it was the most um, devastating and nasty form of capital punishment that had ever been devised. And he knew what his way... He said, if it be possible. He's basically saying, within, within the plan, if there's another way in the plan, okay, what can be done? Humanity's crying out, just like we would. True, perfect humanity. And he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See, that's the main point of life. That's the main point of life. Somewhere. Are you frozen? All right, let's try this again. In case you haven't noticed, there is an angelic conflict going on. In case you haven't noticed, demons get in machines. The ghost in the machine, there's plenty of them around. And it just said, I'm not, I don't like that button anymore. So you have to use another button to get it to advance. And I thought, did I forget it again? And the answer is no, it was in there. Anyway, not my will, but your will be done. And it's still not going to work. Okay. And then there's the betrayal. The betrayal. You know, selfishness often trumps virtue. What did Judas want? Did he want the Lord to throw out the Romans and bring in the kingdom?
And then I don't do anything and it goes away. Okay. <laughs> Not my will, but your will. Know what the directive will of God is. Try to fashion your life around it. The betrayal, selfishness often trumps virtue. Because it was a decision on Judas's part. If we look at these things, we find out that the Lord warned him. The Lord said, Woe to the man that betrays me. It had been better for that man not to have been born. And yet, what did he do? Judas came to betray him. The Lord looked at him and said, Go do what you must do. But he wasn't talking to Judas anymore. Because the devil had already entered into him. Go do what you must do. That was the devil he was talking to. Take your best shot. In other words, this is he is he's been here. This is the uh, uh, this is the way that um, my thoughts will catch up in a second. That sidetracked me, but the devil's not going to win this one. Take your best shot is what the Lord was telling him, because he'll never be weaker at any other time in history than he's going to be for the next few hours on that cross. He will never be weaker. You want to try and win this thing, you're going to have to do it here. But what did Judas do? He was selfish. 30 pieces of silver. And then he realized what he'd done and thrown it back into the threw it back into the the temple. And what they do? Picked it up because it was dirty money and went out and bought a potter's field to bury people like him in. The betrayal. Then we find, why question me? You know, here are the Pharisees, Pilate and all this, and he's taken before the trials, and he said, why are you going to, why are you questioning me? Because often the critics are the one with the problem. If you notice that, there's, there's no doctrine of criticism. There's no gift of criticism, if you will. There's nothing like that. And yet sometimes the critics get uh, quite, uh, uh, the critics get quite um, adamant, loud, boisterous. So why question me? And then, after they go out, Peter denies him. Peter denies him. And this reminds us that even close friends can become cowards. Is it getting hot in here to you guys? Huh? Yes, no. Yes, no. No, yes. <laughs> See my suspenders. I turned into Larry Riley. <laughs> in my old age. Much better. Much better. Even close friends can become cowards. See, Peter, in a sense, was a close friend. I call you friends. This is who you are. And what what did he do? He denied him. The pressure hit. And when the pressure hit, he just said, no, and denied the Lord. Three times. When you look at it, and you track everything down, it almost looks like he did it six times. Because the circumstances look a little bit different in different Gospels as to when he denied him. It almost looks like two sets of three. It's kind of like, okay, Peter, three wasn't enough. You can just keep running your mouth and you're going to keep on doing it. And that's, that's what he did. So Peter denies him. Even close friends can become cowards. Huh, that could even happen in our own life. We face difficult times. And at times, those people will run off and leave us. Prepare for it. It doesn't mean join them. What it does mean is stay true to the Lord with our eyes fixed on Him. Are you the Son of God? They ask Him. Huh. Who is He? He indeed is the Son of God. Even in the face of clear evidence, some people are not going to have faith. Even in the face of clear evidence, some will not have faith. That's the Lord. Are you the Son of God? Absolutely. And then Peter is accused. There will be a big test. Weren't you with this guy? You're from Galilee. We saw you with him. And 
There's going to be a big test in your life about loyalty to the Lord. That's what it's going to be. Are you going to, if, if you run into the thing where somebody challenges you about maybe a shirt you have on, a Christian shirt, or somebody challenges you about a bumper sticker or a tag that says, in God we trust on the back of it, and you're going to back down off of that? We shouldn't. We are, we are called to stand, to stand firm. Are we going to stay loyal to the Lord in the face of all opposition? Now, what looks like is getting ready to happen in, in this country is there's going to be a greater oppression. There is a pushback, a definite pushback. Some of the Christian schools are pushing back against the atheism that's being promoted in some of our schools. They're pushing back. Uh, we've got a good friend that is uh, uh, works with one, and he basically left a very, very, very well-paying job in order to become a teacher in high school because he knew he could have more impact on people by doing that than he could by just continuing to make a whole lot of money every year. He was loyal to the Lord first, and that's where he made his decisions. He's going to be rewarded for that along for a long time. The verdict is confirmed. And this means that they put him to the test, they took him to various people, they tested him in front of Pilate, in front of Herod, back in front of Pilate, in front of the Sanhedrin, and nobody could really find anything to find him guilty. But yet they still wanted him put to death. And you can find that fear of losing power can drive people to irrational decisions, to totally irrational decisions. So the verdict was was confirmed. We learned that principle. How about the traitor's end? After denying the Lord, after denying the Lord, and after betraying the Lord, Judas hanged himself. Now, did this happen while Jesus was on the cross? I don't know. I can't figure out the timing on it. Was it slightly after? When did he go up and hang himself? Uh, off this this tree but in any event even that betrayal was paid for by Christ on the cross Judas was tragic in that even that sin was paid for he could have been forgiven and yet he chose not to be I haven't seen but a handful of people that think Judas was actually a believer but most people say by any standards that you want to apply, Judas never was a believer. Now, <clears throat> there's another Roman judgment brought back once again. Huh. Are you a king? Uh, I'm, my kingdom is not of this earth. If it were, my servants would be fighting. My kingdom is not of this world. So speak truth no matter the cost. And no answers will be given for King Herod. Took him over to Herod. Whenever he was looking at King Her when he was talking to King Herod, Herod wanted him to do some magic tricks for him. Wanted to do some miracles. He said, I'm not doing that. And just basically said no. As a Christian facing persecution in a fallen and decadent world, you could become a political pawn even. All of his disciples did were used for political gain. Even Thomas, who died in India, whenever he was taken over there and killed by a Hindu uh, priest, and he was killed with a spear by a Hindu priest, and, and was he a political pawn? He became an object of political persecution before it led to his execution because people were turning to Christ and away from the Hindu gods. Much like what happened with Paul because if people are turning away from the idols, it affects the business, doesn't it? What happens when people stop buying things? Follow the money. Things happen. And then the crucifixion. 
Sin natures don't act reasonably. Sin natures often do not act reasonably. These are the same people that earlier in the week, earlier in the week they, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were singing psalms. They were welcoming in. They were throwing in palm branches, which we saw last Wednesday night, by the way, was kind of like saying, well, here comes the millennial kingdom. They were putting these things in front of him, and yet that wasn't, wasn't what happened. But they were given an option. My pilot, what do I do with him? And what did they answer? Crucify him. Now, have we ever been in that position where God didn't do things the way we wanted him to do them? Because that's exactly what happened here. Our sin nature then can take over. I've seen it happen. I've been pastor for a long, long time. And I've seen this happen with people where God didn't do things the way that they wanted him to do them. And then they got mad at God. Now, that's where the faith is tested. But that's also where it becomes strong. Because do you believe that he's good? And he wants nothing but good for his kids? If he says no, it's for the greater good. When we deny our kids a, a 12-pack of Snickers for one setting and say that, hey, we don't need to do that. It's a little too much. We're doing it for their good, right? And they may not like it. They don't like to hear no. Well, none of us like to hear no. But it's always designed when God is involved for our good. Sometimes sin natures don't act reasonably, though. And they blame God and they carry, carry it around forevermore. Dobson wrote a book a long time ago, 30, 40 years ago, called When God Doesn't Make Sense. When he doesn't fit our little mold and we can't put him inside of a box and we can't make him function the way we think he ought to function. We heard earlier, and, and we haven't been reading all the verses, but he says, said to the disciples, whatever you ask in my name, uh, I'll grant to you. Okay, was that just for the 11? Was that for everybody else? But see, the key is, the word ask is iteo, which means to ask from an inferior to a superior, which means to humbly ask. And you can't ask in arrogance. Otherwise, it doesn't qualify for that promise. So that means that you must humble yourself to ask God, and that includes, I believe, not my will, but your will be done. Father, if this be your will, I'd really like for you to take care of this problem. Take care of this problem. Take care of this problem. We don't go in demanding. That's eratao. That's to ask from an equal to an equal. And that's what the Pharisees did with Jesus. Itao means humbly ask. He is the king of kings. We, uh, uh, the, the song we sang, king of all kings you will be. That's calling us to make him Indeed, the king of our life, he's already king of kings. I can't make him that. I don't have the authority, the power, or anything else. What I can do is recognize the position he's already got. That's what I do. So that's how king of all kings you will be. He already is. Read the first chapter of Revelation. But king of all kings, you will be. Yeah, he will be in the future. In that we put our hope. So they yell, crucify him. Then, he was sentenced to die. This is an important point. Innocent people can be wrongly put to death. Innocent people can be wrongly put to death. And that basically is innocent of the crime of which they are accused. It's an interesting thing under the Mosaic Law. Very practical. Under the Mosaic Law that if you accuse somebody of something and they're found innocent, you bear that penalty. What do you think that did with frivolous lawsuits? You accuse somebody of murder, you better have two or three witnesses. That's the law to go along with it. Because what's the penalty for you for the false accusation? In the commandment, you shall bear no false witness against your neighbor. 
Yeah, a heavy penalty for that. Heavy penalty. Innocent people, though, can be wrongly put to death because Jesus was innocent of everything. He basically was found innocent by six tribunals. And then there was a thief on a cross. Remember that? We deserve to be here is what he said to that other thief on the cross. This man didn't do anything worthy of death at all. He knew of the innocence of the one on the middle cross. But he didn't consider him to be innocent. We deserve what we are getting. But innocent people can be wrongly put to death. Then he went to Golgotha. Times the road can be almost unbearable. The Passion of the Christ, the movie that was there. Some people say, well, I didn't like it because it's too Catholic. Well, there's a lot of Catholic overtones in it, but I've never seen anything portray as well as that movie did the events leading up to the cross. The scourging, they never show it in movies except they showed it in that one. And the scourging they showed in that one is hard to look at. It is. But that is the type of scourging that was administered by the Roman soldiers. See, that, you want reality? We all know that movie picture shows are not reality. But if you want to portray reality, get something that is realistic. And that was quite realistic. He went to and Simon of Cyrene, pressed into service. That man to carry his cross for him. The road to Golgotha after he'd already been whipped. The road to Golgotha was almost unbearable. And guess what? Our road at times can be almost unbearable. And when we think about that, how many times in here have we all thought, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And it's all about us. And maybe we ought to say, this is what the Lord went through for me. Paul writes about that. And he says, thus you share the sufferings of Christ. We can't do anything to atone for our sins. Never could. If we could, Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross. But whenever we face these unbearable situations, we can identify with him. We get a small taste of what he went through going to the cross, being accused by his brethren, accused by the rulers of the people, abandoned by everybody, abuse hurled at him. Yeah, at times the road can almost be unbearable. And we might get to go through that from time to time. And then on the cross, our mission may contain some excruciating moments. God has a plan for your life. And the plan is to, for us is to follow his leading because we don't know what it is. And the interesting thing about his plan is the plan includes all of our good decisions, our bad decisions, and the ones we didn't even make. Includes all of them for us. But do we want to find them? is the question mark. Do we want to find the path that he has charted for us? Because along this, what is the path? What is the mission? To draw closer to him. Draw close to him, he'll draw close to you. The whole thing is to get closer to him. And so when we face these tests, we look at it and say, this is what the Lord went through for me. And it might have some excruciating moments. Look what he went through. He's called a man of sorrows. He went through the the loss of friends. He went through the, the rejection by his countrymen. He went through all those things. So there's some excruciating moments along the way. Then he said, it is finished. Which basically says, let us complete God's plan for our life. That word is tetelestai. Beautiful word. Means paid in full. What's paid in full? Our redemption. One sacrifice for sin for all time and he sat down at the right hand of God. Let's complete God's plan for our life. So what are we called to do? Persevere to the end. Some crowns are given for persevering to the end. What do we find in 2 Peter 1? Right in there. 
add perseverance. And the sphere of your perseverance, godliness, a greater respect for God. And in that godliness, brotherly kindness, and that brotherly love, Christian love, the love of God. That's part of what grows. So perseverance is important to finishing our mission. <clears throat> then there were some awesome wonders. I really don't like them to say Mother Nature brought all this stuff around. Uh, Mother Nature is a Hindu god. Isn't that an amazing counterfeit? Just right out front. It's Father God. Not Mother God. God has the power over nature. He has absolute power over nature. He has power over the laws of physics, power over everything else. Now from the cross to the tomb, he needed to get into a rich man's tomb. And that tells us that other people may help us complete our mission. That's Isaiah 53. He needed to get into a rich man's tomb to fulfill the prophecy. He had no control over that, did he? And yet Joseph of Arimathea went up, made a deal, got the body, and put him in his tomb so he could be resurrected. I don't know how in tune Joseph of Arimathea was. I wonder if he's saying, well, he's just going to be using it for a few days. <laughs> I don't know if he quite figured that out or not. So, yeah, no problem. You can take my Taj Mahal over here, and, and I'll just put you over here in my Taj Mahal, because I know you're going to be gone in three days. That, we could ask him. Well, won't that be fun? Say, did you what? It, when you gave that tomb, were you thinking he's not going to be using it very long? <laughs> we can ask him that, and we'll all have a big laugh together. But other people might be needed to help you complete your mission, and the tomb is sealed. Sometimes it seems like the world has won. Sometimes it seems like the world has won. Sometimes we're going to face battles like that in our own life. It seems like the world has beat us and the world has won. Sometimes it seems that way. But it's just the beginning. It's the end of the beginning, isn't it? That's what it is. Because a new day is getting ready to dawn. And the Lord will bring it about. Well, we're going to pick it up here when I get back. And... Uh, I will miss you, all y'all. It will happen. Um, but I do think you're going to be edified with uh, Kelvin and George the Great. And I hope you hope you all enjoy them. Let's pray. Father, it's a good day. We thank you for it. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your test. Father, thank you for the, the many things you poured out upon us. And Father, I pray that uh, this week as we go about our business that it will be your business that we are going about. We pray everything we think, say, and do will honor and glorify you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.